Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. Um, you know, I, I heard a story about a missionary recently who felt God asking him to help the Native American community in his area. Exhausted, he told God, I'm just too busy, and honestly, I don't feel the connection. Can't you just ask someone else? God responded, I did. You're the 24th person I've asked. The missionary humbly replied, okay, Lord, send me. Have you ever noticed that we far more often ask God for things praying about our needs that we rarely ask what's on his heart and what we could do for him? It may seem ridiculous, but when we look at salvation as a gift from God that is absolutely free, how we live is our gift to God. It is difficult for many to understand that salvation is not at all given to us by us earning it, but is entirely by God's grace. It is not a reward for one's own accomplishments, but is given freely in simple faith, trusting in Christ and his finished work on the cross. And however plainly this may be said or taught, there will always be some who will misunderstand and many more who will raise objections believing that this is still our responsibility to earn our place in heaven, to gain our right standing with God. I know because that was me for a long time. I believe that even though Christ died for my sins, I knew it in my head, paid it all on the cross, every one of my self-centered thoughts and actions, past, present, and future, I still wrestled with this need to earn grace. But when we look at God's word and recognize that the full pardon of our sins and acceptance of our souls does not rest on any doings of our own, that is when we are able to begin one God's heart and love, not obligation. Seeking to ask what's on God's heart and saying, okay, Lord, send me. Seeking to honor the Lord in all we do out of gratitude because the entire weight of all our sin has been left for dead on the cross of Jesus, freeing us from this relentless pressure to prove ourselves. Salvation is a gift from God, and how we live is our gift to God. I wanted to share all of that before we dive in this morning, because this morning we're going to go through a list of do's that when we read can often be construed into legalism, feeling like these are things that we need to do to earn God's favor. But it is not at all about earning God's favor or love. It's not at all about earning God's salvation. That is given freely. This is simply about how we love God with our lives in response to his salvation. Gesundheit. Romans 12 is all about transformation, and this is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Before it might be Romans 8 or the end of Job when God speaks to Job, that part's just really cool. Romans 8, I love it, and I go to it time and time again. Remember my struggle for thinking I needed to earn grace? I love how Romans 8 begins, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit has set us free from the law of sin and death. Whenever I'm feeling like I didn't do very well that day or feeling ashamed of myself, I go to that verse and I remind me of his confirmation that there is no condemnation. But Romans 12 is, is also one of my favorite books and it is all about transformation. 
It reads in the beginning of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I feel the need to ask you to like open your Bibles, open your phones, your Bible app. Let's read Romans 12 together. Starting in verse 1, going through verse 2, it says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, I beg you, to give your body you will find because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find pleasing. This is truly the way we worship him. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by the renewal of your mind, the changing of the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And I understand that Kellen has taught through Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 already in this series, but it bears repeating the importance of two things in these verses. First, it's this word transform, very similar to the word Paul uses in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Those of you who've been in church long enough have probably heard this verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. For Paul, this transformation and renewing of our minds is the ridding of the old self, the fleeing of what was, and becoming as Christ. And this can and only will occur as we fix our eyes upon him, seeking what's on his heart, seeking what he wants, his way, his truth, his life, in all we do. I.e., we seek to do what he asks, to live how he has called us to live, to become who he originally created us to be. Salvation is God's gift to us, but how we live is our gift to God. And Paul finishes that verse by going on to write, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ, and God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. You see, as we are transformed on the inside, the proof is made evident on the outside. And as it is made evident on the outside through how we live, talk, treat one another, and act, others also become witnesses to God's completed work on the cross and get to reap the benefits of his free gift of salvation as well. All right, that's transformed very elusive to many of us. In youth ministry, I was often asked by students what God's will was for their life, where to go to college, what job to take, etc. And to be honest, I'm not sure God's so much concerned with where you go to school or what vocation you choose, rather than how diligent you are in your studies or how honorable you are in your work. But speaking of the will of God, it goes on in Colossians 3, verse 17. Perhaps the will of God is simply this, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. Or perhaps it's as Jesus said in Matthew 22, 37 through 39. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. How we live is our gift to God. And by living for God, we share his goodness and good news everywhere we go to everyone we meet. All right, so now that we have some background, that's the start of chapter 12, verses one and two. I apologize for the redundancy, but it bears repeating. Now let's dig into the four verses that we have for today, which in reading them seem obvious, right? Of course, yeah, this to-do list, we should live like this. Nobody's gonna argue that. But living it out is far easier said than done. And it's not just knowing what it says, 
It's doing. It's living it out that takes the work. And why do we do it, friends? How we live is our gift to God. My gift to God is not being a jerk. My gift to God is not thinking too highly of myself. My gift to God is how I love him and others. And it's not just a cutesy statement. Do these things, you'll live a nice life. No, he's, he's saying do these things because I love it. It's pleasing to me, but it also is very beneficial, reconciling others to myself. And there's no easy way around it. We are called to live up to this challenge. But here's the thing. When we fall, because we all know we will, we accept the grace, we get back up, and we try again. All right, Romans 12, 14 through 17. I'm going to read all four of these verses in a row. So join me in your text. Bless those who persecute you. Bless them, do not curse. 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Think the same thing toward one another. Do not be arrogant, but associate with the lowly. And do not be wise in your own sight. Pay back no one evil for evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. I love Paul. He's so practical in what he says. For following Jesus involves action. We demonstrate our love for God and for others, not by mere words, but through action. As Jesus said to his disciples in John 13, 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you follow me, not by our words, but how we act, by how we live, by how we love. And culture has confused the word love for a long time. Redefining it to fit what we want to think, how we want to act, how we want to live. However, the Bible defines love much differently than our culture has chosen to define it. In 1 Corinthians 13 is a prime written example of God's love. Feel free to go there in your text. I love Bible text. It's so easy. Just 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You're there. God's love and perfect character is perfectly laid out in 1 Corinthians 13. And Paul describes love with action words, not by lofty concepts. He's not writing about how love feels. He's writing about how it can be seen in action. True love is always demonstrated by action. Again, practical. Not easy, but practical. Let's read it. Love is patient and love is kind. It is never jealous, boastful, proud, or rude. Whew. All right, that's just the first sentence. Love is never self-centered or quick-tempered, but considers the physical, spiritual, and emotional needs of others before its own. Love keeps no record of wrongs, but just like our gracious and merciful Father, it throws our sins as far as the east is from the west and holds them against us no longer. Oh, gosh. Evil. Love is always supportive, though correcting what must be changed. Love is intentionally loyal, seeking the truth of what is best in others and what is best for others. Love is confident in our eternal hope through Christ Jesus our Lord. And lastly, love is trustworthy, showing up when it says it will, doing what it says it will do, and giving of itself for the midst of his discussion of spiritual gifts. Paul wanted the Corinthian Christians, as well as the Holy Spirit, wants you and me to remember that giftedness and success is not the measure of maturity. Rather, our measure of maturity is displayed by our love for God and our love for others. So what are some practical steps that we can take to act out that love? Paul says it in verse 14, we bless those who persecute us. 
This is a quotation from Matthew 5, by the way, where Jesus instructs his followers, but I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. As well as in Luke 6, 28, when he says, bless those who curse you, pray for those who hurt you. This is, all a gr- this is also a great reflection of some fantastic examples laid out in Scripture. Luke 23, 34, while Jesus is on the cross, he prays for those who just crucified him. And he's also praying for those who are cursing him at that very moment, saying, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. We see it again in Acts chapter 7, verse 60, which I encourage you, go read Acts chapter 7. It's amazing. But it's a reflection of Stephen, a man of God. While he is literally being stoned to death, he falls to his knees shouting, Lord, do not hold their sin against them. He blesses in the midst of their cursing. And Paul brings the importance of this blessing instead of cursing up again in his first letter to the church in Corinth, saying, we work wearily with our own hands to earn our living. We bless those who curse us. We are patient with those who abuse us. We appeal gently when evil things... And why do we do that? Because that's how we have all been treated. Not as our sins and self-centeredness deserve, but with grace and loving kindness. God chose not to curse us for our crimes against him, but instead extended to every one of us a blessing. Bless those who persecute you. Bless them and do not curse. 15, rejoice with voice and weeping with those who weep. This is how we can fulfill the command in verse 16, to be of the same mind toward one another. It is a simple command to be considerate of the feelings of others instead of waiting for them to be considerate of your feelings. Remembering that love is never self-centered or quick-tempered, but considers the physical, spiritual, and emotional needs of others before its own. And verse 16, think the same thing toward one another. Don't think arrogantly. You're not better than them, but associate with the lowly. Don't be wise in your own sight. Paul cautions us to have a humble mindset in refusing to set our minds on high things that honestly do not matter and in associating with serving and lifting up the humble, down and out, and needy. In this act of love, we imitate Jesus. How we love God, how we love others is our gift to him. And remember, the will of God is not first and foremost about us. It never was. It has everything to do with what God wants, what his heart desires. And we do so by choosing to love others and choosing to love him. And in so, we become transformed to become just like Christ. And I love that last part. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Y'all, we all have opinions, right? And every single one of them should stand as a reminder of how how far we still have to go to actually becoming like Jesus. Ronald Reagan is coined in saying, it's amazing how much can be accomplished when you don't care who gets the credit. And lastly, verse 17, pay back no command evil for evil. Repaying no one evil for evil recalls Jesus' command again in Matthew 5, verses 38 through 45, where he says this, you know, you've been taught all wrong. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you not to try to get even with the person who has done something wrong to you. When someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn and let that person slap your other cheek. If someone sues you for your shirt, give them your coat as well. 
And if a soldier forces you to carry his pack one mile, you carry it too. For you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you in order that you may be sons. And he sends rain on the just and unjust. And why? Because they're his children too. And he's trying to reconcile with them as well. And how does he do it? Through us. And when we are transformed, when we choose to live for God, we become demonstrations of his love for them. And how we live is our gift to God. God has given this task of reconciling people to him and using us to share his gift of salvation to the world that they too may fall in love with him and become like Christ as well. We are to love our enemies and treat well those who treat us badly for a humble attitude and a willingness to share are the marks of a Christ follower. For Jesus himself ministered to the down and out and the needy, and we are called to do the same. And finally, friends, do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. People should be able to see what is good by how we live. The world should be able to see just how much we love God by how we live. And words are cheap. We all know that living it out is far easier said than done. But it's not just knowing what it says, it's doing it. It's living it out that takes the work. But why do we do it? How we live is our gift to God. And it's the art of evangelism at its finest, friends. For sharing the gospel not by passing out tracts. This is a bad pun, but I'm going to say it anyway. But by having tracts worth following, right? All right. They will know you are my disciples by how you love one another. Are you humble? Are you encouraging? Do you care if you get the credit? Do you have steps worth following? Are your steps in step with Christ? As Isaiah says, are you willing to order your steps in his word? And not just hear it, as James says, but actually do what it says. I'm going to close with this, friend. Paul closes with this in Philippians 4, 8. So we're going to close with it ourselves today. Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever things are true, whatever things are honorable, whatever things are right, whatever things are pure, whatever things are pleasing, whatever things are commendable, if there is any excellence of character, if there is anything praiseworthy, stick it on your remote. Maybe write that down on a notebook card and stick it on your remote or in your mirror in the morning on your computer screen, whatever things are true, honorable, right, pure, and pleasing, commendable, showing an excellence of character, and praiseworthy. Think about these things. Whatever you have learned and received, heard from me, or seen in me, put it into practice. Paul's calling himself to the carpet. He's saying, if you've seen me live it out, do it. And that's how we should be able to live. You see me living, do that. Because I am living in order to honor Christ, I am living in step with him. Follow my tracks. And he closes with this, and the God of peace will be with you. Friends, salvation is God's gift to us. It is absolutely free, thank God. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank God. And this isn't an obligation, but how we live, how we love is our gift to God. So friends, let's put, begin to put this into practice today.
Don't wait. Don't wait. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.
and what we can do for him. My dad introduced me to this great phrase that says, salvation is God's gift to us. It is absolutely free. But how we live is our gift to God. And it is difficult for many to understand that salvation is not at all given to us by earning it, but is entirely by God's grace. Not a reward for one's own accomplishments, but is given freely in simple faith, trusting in Christ Jesus and his finished work on the cross. And however plainly that might be said or taught, there will always be some who will misunderstand and still even more who will raise objections to gain our right standing, with, that it is still our responsibility to earn our place in heaven, to gain our right standing with God. And to be honest, that was me for a long time. I believed that even though Christ died for my sins and paid it all on the cross, every self-centered thought and action, past, present, and future, I still wrestled with my need to earn grace. But when we look at God's word and recognize that the full pardon of our sins, yours and mine, and the acceptance of our souls does not rest on any doings of our own, that is when we are able to begin walking and living in obedience out of love, not out of obligation. Seeking to ask what's on God's heart, saying, okay, Lord, send me seeking to honor him out of gratitude because the entire weight of our sin has been left for dead on the cross of Christ, freeing us from the relentless pressure of having to prove ourselves worthy. Salvation is God's gift to us, and how we live is our gift to God. I wanted to share all of that before we dive in this morning to Romans 12, 14 through 17, because Romans 12, 14 and 17 is a list of to-dos. And with to-dos, they can often be misconstrued as legalism, obligations. It is not at all about us earning God's love, though. Earning our salvation, that is given freely. It is a gift. This is all about how we choose to love God with our lives in response to our salvation. And Romans 12 begins with one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible. It is actually one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. And it starts with this. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. Give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find pleasing. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy renewal of your mind, changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. Now, I understand that Kellen has taught about Romans 12, 1 and 2 already in this series, but it bears repeating the importance of two things in those two verses. First, this word, transform. It is very similar to what Paul states in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, when he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. And for Paul, this transformation and renewing of our minds is the ridding of our old self and becoming as Christ. And this can and only will occur as we continue to fix our eyes on him, seeking what's on his heart, what he wants, his way, his truth, his life in everything we do. Simply put, we do what he asks. We seek to live how he has called us to live. 
and we seek to become how we originally created all of us to be. But let us not forget, salvation is God's gift to us, but how we live is our gift to God. Paul goes on in that verse to say, and all of this is a gift from God, huh? who brought us back to himself through Christ, and God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. You see, as we are transformed on the inside, the proof is evident on the outside, and as it is made evident on the outside through how we live, talk, act, and treat one another. Secondly, become witnesses to God's completed work on the cross. Secondly, there's this idea of the will of God. It's pretty elusive. A lot of people ask what the will of God. And when I was in youth ministry, I was often asked by students what God's will was for their life. Where to go to college, what job to pursue, etc. What vocation you choose, rather than how diligent you are in your studies when you get there. Or how honorable you are in your work. Perhaps the will of God is simply this in Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do or say, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. Or perhaps it's more like this, as Jesus said in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. How we live is our gift to God. And by living for God, we share his goodness and good news everywhere we go to everyone we meet along the way. All right, now that we have some background, let's dig into four verses that we have for today. Romans 12, verses 14 through 17, which in reading those four verses, I know most of you are going to be like, it seems obvious. Of course we should live like this. But as all of you know, Living it out is far easier said than done. But I want to encourage you and challenge you, as Paul pleaded with them. It's not just knowing what it says, it's doing it. It's living it out that takes work. But why do we do it? Because how we live is our gift to God. My gift to God is not being a jerk. My gift to God is not thinking too highly of myself. My gift to God is how I choose to love others in kindness and generosity. Loving God, loving others is my gift to God. And there's no easy way around it. We are called to live up to the challenge. And when we fall, because we all know we will, we need to accept the grace. We need to get back up. And we need to try again. All right, let's dive in. Starting at verse 14 of chapter 12. Bless those who persecute you with those who weep and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Think the same toward one another. Do not be arrogant, but associate with the lowly and the needy. Do not be wise in your own sight. And pay back no one evil for evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. I love how Paul writes. He's very practical in his steps. They're not easy steps, but he's very practical. And that's, that's what I love, that he puts it into action steps for us to take. For following Jesus involves action. We demonstrate our love for God and for others, not by words. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you follow me. 
not by your words, but by how you act, how you live, how you love. And culture has confused this word love for a long time, redefining it to fit what we think, how we want to act, how we would like to live. However, the Bible defines it very differently than our culture has defined it. And 1 Corinthians 13 is a prime written example of God's love and perfect character. Paul describes love with action words, not lofty concepts. He didn't write about how love feels. He wrote about how it can be seen in action. True love is always demonstrated by action. Again, Paul is very practical here. They're not easy, but it's very practical. 1 Corinthians says this, Love is patient and kind. It is never jealous, boastful, proud, or rude. Now that's just the first sentence of what love is. It goes on to say that love is never self-centered or quick-tempered, but considers the physical, spiritual, and emotional needs of others before its own. Love keeps no record of wrongs, but just like our gracious and merciful Father in heaven, it throws our sins as far as the east is from the west and chooses to hold them against us no longer. Love rejoices in the truth and flees from what is evil. Love is always supportive, though correcting what must be changed. It is intentionally loyal, seeking the truth in what is best in others and what is best for others. Love is confident in our eternal hope through Christ Jesus our Lord. And lastly, love is trustworthy, showing up when it says it will, doing what it says it will do, and giving of itself for the sake of Christ and the sake of others. That's 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8 for you. And it's the best definition of love there is. And there is a reason why Paul put it in this chapter in the midst of a discussion on spiritual gifts, by the way. Paul wanted the Corinthian Christians, as well as the Holy Spirit wants the church today, to remember that giftedness and success are not the measures of maturity. Our measure of maturity is displayed by our love. So what are some practical steps we can take? And from Matthew 5, where Jesus instructs, I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. He says it again in Luke 6, verse 28. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. This is also a reflection of some fantastic examples laid out in Scripture. Luke 23, 34, while Jesus is on the cross, he prays for those who just crucified him and prays for those who are literally cursing him at that very moment, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And again in Acts 7, verse 60, while Stephen, a man of God, is literally being stoned to death, he falls to his knees, shouting, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. If I may interrupt that for a moment, our prayer for our enemies, you don't have to travel across the world to pray for enemies. You could do it right where you are at. And I think prayer is the most underutilized gift we've been given as the church. We pray for world leaders, not because we agree with them, but for God to soften them and to use them in mighty ways. We pray for somebody at work that we don't agree with, for God to soften their heart, for God to soften our hearts. But I want to encourage you, pray, pray, pray. Pray for your spouse, pray for your loved ones, pray for your enemies the same. All right, I digress. Paul brings the importance of blessing instead of cursing up again in his first letter to the church in Corinth, saying, 
We work wearily with our own hands to earn our living. We bless those who curse us, and we are patient with those who abuse us. We appeal gently when evil things are said about us, because that's how we've all been treated. Not as our sins and self-centeredness deserve, but with grace and loving kindness. God chose not to curse us for our crimes against him, but instead extended to us a blessing. Salvation is God's gift to us. How we live is our gift to God. All right, that's verse 14. Bless those who persecute you, bless them, and do not rejoice with those who rejoice and the steps. Easier said than done. Verse 15 goes on to say, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. This is how we can fulfill the command that is said, uh, said in verse 16, immediately following, to be of the same mind toward one another. It is a simple command to be considerate of the feelings of others instead of waiting for them to be considerate of your feelings. Remembering that love is never self-centered or quick-tempered, but considers the physical, spiritual, and emotional needs of others before its own. And verse 16 goes on to say, think the same thing toward one another. Don't be arrogant, but associate with the lowly and the needy. Don't be wise in your own sight. Paul cautions us here to have a humble mindset. In refusing to set our minds on high things, what we can accomplish and attain, things that honestly do not matter. And instead associating with serving and lifting up the humble, the down and out, those in need, the lowly, in this act of love, in doing so, we imitate Christ. Oh, that's all chapter 12 is talking about. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We be transformed to be just like Christ, loving God, loving others. And don't be wise in your own opinion, because we all have opinions. And every one of those opinions should serve as a reminder of how far we still have to go in actually becoming like Jesus. Ronald Reagan is coined saying, it's amazing how much can be accomplished when no one cares who gets the credit. Oh, don't be wise in your own eyes, but humble yourself for the sake of Christ. And verse 17, lastly, pay back no one evil for evil. Repaying no one evil for evil recalls Jesus' command in Matthew 5, 38 through 45, where he says this, You all have been taught wrong, all wrong, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't try to get even with the person who has done something wrong against you. When someone slaps your right cheek, turn to that person your left cheek also. If someone sues you for your shirt, give up your coat as well. And if a soldier forces you to carry his pack one mile, carry it too. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you in order that you may be sons and daughters of our Father in heaven. God, God has given us this task to be transformed, friends. For how we live is our gift to God. God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. And God uses us to share his gift of salvation to the world, that they too, many, that they too may love him and become like Christ, just as we love him and are becoming like Christ. And love your enemies. 
Treat those well who treat you badly, for a humble attitude and a willingness to share are the marks of a Christ follower. It should be the marks of the church. Jesus ministered to the down and out and the lowly and the needy. We are called to do the same. And finally, friends, do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. People should be able to see what is good by how we live. The world should be able to see just how much we love God by how we live. We all know words are cheap. We all know that living it out is far easier said than done. It's not just knowing what it says. It's doing it. It's living it out. It takes the work, I know. But we do it because how we live is our gift to God. And it's the art of evangelism at its finest. Sharing the gospel not by passing out tracts. Remember those little pamphlets? And I'm going to tell you a bad pun here. It's not by passing out tracts, but it's by having tracts worth following. They will know you are my disciples by how you love one another. Are you humble? Are you encouraging? Do you care if you get the credit or not? Do you have steps worth following? Are your steps in step with Jesus? Or as Isaiah says, are you willing to order your steps in his word? Not just hear it as James says, but actually do what it says. Practical steps, not always easy, but practical and life-giving. Life in abundance is with this, says in John 10, 10. Verse 8, so we will close with the same today. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever things are true, whatever things are honorable, whatever things are right, whatever things are pure, whatever things are pleasing, whatever things are commendable, if there is an excellence of character in anything praiseworthy, think about those things and seek to live them out. Whatever you have learned, received, heard from me, or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Call it, uh, Paul is calling himself to the carpet there. He's saying, follow me as I follow Christ, because he was in step with Jesus, living it out. He gave us tracks worth following. And I want to challenge you again here. Maybe write this verse on a note card, Philippians 4, 8. And maybe stick that on your mirror in the morning. Maybe stick it on your, your TV or your computer. Whatever things are true, honorable, right, pure, and pleasing, commendable, any excellence of character, anything praiseworthy, seek that. Put it into practice. Salvation is God's gift to us. It is absolutely free. But how we live is our gift to God. So friends, let us begin to put that into practice today. Don't wait. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gifts of your salvation. It is given freely so that none of us could boast about it or say we earned something, but you gave it freely. Lord, help us to live our lives seeking to honor you by loving God seeking to honor you by loving all others, not just the ones who love us back. Seeking to forgive our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, to bless them, pure, a curse that is pleasing and commendable. 
anything commendable for character, anything praiseworthy, that we may think about these things and put them into practice. Holy Spirit, we need your help along the way. Lead us in your, your beautiful way, truth, and life. In the name of Jesus, all God's people say, amen and amen. Stand and join us for one more song.